And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Jana Gardner. I'm Nick Fulton. And I'm Dylan Quayer. And today we are going to be discussing the film Detour, a 1945 film noir directed by Edgar G. Ulmer, starring Tom Neal and Anne Savage. It was adapted from a novel of the same name, um, and one of, was one of the so-called Poverty Row films of the early to mid-20th century in Hollywood. Um, so, you know, might as well get started. What was your guys' experience with Detour? Had you ever seen it before, this viewing? What about you, Dylan? I hadn't. Um, so this is one of the few that I was very excited to watch the first time. Um, I remember when I picked up the book, I was very into film noir, so I don't know why... I wouldn't have grabbed this one, except for maybe I just didn't really know the name much. Um, but it would have been interesting to see what I would have thought about this one if I had watched it like in my middle school pretentious film noir days. It would have been interesting. Nick? Yeah, I watched it. I'm trying to find... like Every year I rank my uh, like favorite new watches or like first-time watches for me. And I watched it I think two years ago and it made my list, but I, I remember looking at the list like a few days ago and um, I had it at 25, which is as deep as I ranked it. And even just looking at the one that was above it, I was like, Oh, I, I definitely would have put this higher than that. If I were, re-ranking <laughs> do you remember it which one was so, above it? Uh, oh, it was, it was, la- it was actually last year's list, not this year's. It was um, the Wiener Wertmuller movie. Um, that's uh Seven Beauties. Uh, <laughs> that Which I th- is that the one that you saw and you you hated or was it Swept Away? Because I like this one a lot better than Swept Away. I haven't seen any of I, her work. I haven't seen any of them either. Okay, it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, it seems like a lot. <laughs> it is. It is quite a lot. Uh, but yeah, so I've seen this movie um, once, just like recently within the last year. Um, and I like it. I liked it a lot, uh, even more on a second viewing, I think. Good. What about you, Jan? Yeah, I I really liked it, too. I hadn't seen it before either. And kind of similarly, Dylan, it, it feels like maybe it flies under the radar because I've seen a lot of noir movies. I've, like, made a point to check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I'd heard the title of this before, but I, I feel like it's pretty under the radar as far as discussion of noir films go um it's not one i ever caught like playing on turner classics or anything like that when i was younger mm-hmm. which is where i would normally see these things um so yeah i was i was excited to watch it and i did really enjoy it i have some thoughts about maybe why it's not a part of the <laughs> main discussion of <laughs> film noirs um it has some interesting elements to it um but yeah i i liked it i liked how kind of strange it was um it is strange and how like, you know, we were mentioning uh, earlier before we started the episode about how it felt like it could be another chapter in the Decalogue. And I think that's just such a, like, good way of looking at it. It's just like this one guy's story of 
he's either like the unluckiest guy in the world or something. Because mm. um, man, what a what a series of events he goes through. It's wild. Yeah, I I, I would yeah. I want to know what the um like the writers' room process was of creating how dumb this story is, and not dumb in a bad way, but right, just a, almost a genius way. It's insane. Yeah, it it plays. I mean, it plays like a short story, really, right? Mm, like yes, in terms of it, it has does. like this little narrative, and it has this, it ties together in sort of a neat bow. Um, and it, yeah, it plays more just like a ugh, that's life, like <laughs> almost more like yeah, a, not a Twilight Zone, but something kind of like that. Just like ugh, bad things happen in the world. Um, but yeah, did you like it, Dylan? Did you say uh, impressions mixed? I really liked it. Um, like there it. were some... Eber's first line in the book, and I'm sure someone was going to say it uh, on oh, the yeah. essay, was, uh, <laughs> Detour well is a movie so filled with imperfections that it would not earn a director a passing grade in film school. That oh. is very true. Um, yeah, there there's things in it that it just it feels like mistakes. And it's like, are there frames missing? Like, <laughs> this, this, there's no shot continuity here. Um, we definitely noticed that during our watch of it as well. Um, and for the most part, they did not bother me. And they actually right. just made me have more fun with the movie. But there were a few. And I'll specifically talk about this because it was my entire letterbox review. And Nick made, left a semi-angry comment on <laughs> it. Which is, I just absolutely despise the, the narration framing device of this movie. I thought it killed so much of what it could have been. At first, I thought it was I mean, pretty like funny and mm-hmm. enjoyable. But then there was like scenes that would get really involving and then they would just cut to him mm. describing the scene. Cut and I was like, it. I'm I'm so into what's going on. Please shut up and just let me watch what happens. But um yeah. I mean it's it's kind of a genre convention, right? To have this guy like narrating his own sad story. And I, I definitely liked it at the beginning. Um Same. I think the well I guess I guess we might as well just sort of jump into the story. I thought the opening scene it really sets a sets a tone <laughs> for this movie. It starts with this sort of like in media res opening where he's at a diner and he's hitchhiking. And um, the first thing we noticed was, man, people just used to like jump to getting in fights or almost getting in fights so quickly back in the day. <laughs> like <laughs> immediately um, he's just being very adversarial. He's all sad at this diner. And then he has like a total freak out when someone puts a jaunty tune on the jukebox (laughs) and then almost comes to blows immediately with a guy in a diet. It's really like strange, but in a captivating way, I thought. Mm -hmm. So that sort of goes to like why I think the narration works in the context of the movie, because I think there are two ways to read um, this story. Either it's the most fatalistic story where these things that seem to happen by coincidence, um, like he, he, you know, the guy dies for, mm-hmm. like, some yeah. BS-seeming reason. Mm-hmm. And then he just happens to pick up the worst person in the world that he could pick up. Um, that's either a coincidence to the point that it it's, like, the hand of fate, which he alludes to in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, or he's lying. I like that interpretation, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. I I like the, I like this movie more if you think of him as a just wildly unreliable narrator mm-hmm. who's was trying to note. justify to himself or us about these things that happened cuz Yeah. 
Yeah, otherwise he just has the worst luck in the whole world. Um, right. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the climactic scene at the end where it's just like, that's not how any of this happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. the, that final scene in particular, I'm like, I, I don't believe this version of events at all, even in the heightened reality of this movie. Yeah, and one thing I think that goes towards the, sort of that rating where he's an un- unreliable narrator and these were actually acts of murder and he's just lying to us, the audience, is that... When throughout this whole flashback does he ever act the way he does? Um, did he reacts in that bar to hearing the song? Like mm-hmm. he hears that song and he's pissed off immediately and he wants to deck this guy. Whereas right. the entire time in the movie he's being like extorted by this woman and he's mm-hmm. just like taking it like a sad sack and he's just a complete loser throughout the rest of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of seems like the person that he's portraying. Uh, in the story that he's telling is not who he actually is when we see him in the diner, uh, like at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I actually hadn't even put that direct part of it together, but that makes so much sense because yeah, he's so aggressive in that scene in a way that he's not in the story he's telling at all. The bad things just happen to him. So I did think in the very beginning, uh, and this has nothing to do with the plot of the movie, but when the guy, uh, gets change for the jukebox he goes hey could you give me change for a dime <laughs> change for a dime that's a, for i didn't dime. even catch that that's an incredible my, note my big hang up with the jukebox is when after the song starts and he demands that they stop playing the song i don't know if jukeboxes worked differently back then but in my experience if you put a song in the jukebox you are stuck with it until that song is over and the next one comes up like yeah. <laughs> that's one of the annoying things about jukeboxes someone puts on a song and you're like okay well gotta listen to this now until the next one comes around you have to so, listen yeah. to what's new pussycat another dozen times exactly that was my jukebox related note was i don't think they could even change it if they wanted to but still guy he paid his pennies for that song and he's yeah. gonna listen to it um all right, so after this um, opening scene at a diner where he's being rude to everybody and, and starting fights over... Oh, I, I'm thoughts. sorry. I did have oh. one note. Yes. Um, I, something I mentioned about the, the diner scene was uh, this is like the world where George Bailey is dead. <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. Like it has when he goes that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did like... From this beginning scene, it it has that really stark lighting and it does the really dramatic sort of like, you know, focus on his face and everything is sort of black and shadowy. It looks fantastic. I love that shot where, yeah, when he, Mm -hmm. it's just like all you see is his face Mm -hmm. and then like the light is shining on his eyes and then it cuts, it like pans down to the mug that looks like gigantic for some reason. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I guess actually before we move on to, we should talk a little bit about, um, the restoration of this movie, right? Because yeah. it it went through um, a restoration. Um, Nick, you watched it on Criterion Channel, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I did end up watching the Criterion Blu-ray, which looked fantastic. And Dylan, did you or did you not watch this entire movie on um, a window in on its Wikipedia page? <laughs> yep, I did. Not to call you out. <laughs> I, well, okay, so I started on Prime because that was just like the first link that came up on my uh, mm-hmm. stuff. And... Um, you know, whenever I start a movie for our podcast, I get my Word out, I get Wikipedia out, I get Letterboxd out, and I get already. And I was like, this quality is terrible on Prime. And so I see in the Wikipedia there is a play full film running one hour, eight minutes, like right at the top of the Wikipedia yeah. page. And I'm like, that quality looks so much better than 
my quality. And so I just played it there, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. And while, while it was a bummer, because I couldn't use, like, the Wikipedia, like, references or production notes. Were... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just... It's only the, the only the second movie I've ever gotten to watch entirely on Wikipedia, so that's fun. That's that's well, all I'm planning on watching. Tenet, actually. <laughs> there you go. Just get the entire thing on on the Wikipedia page and watch it. Um, I will say that is an issue I've had with Prime before too. Like, mm-hmm. a- Amazon Prime has a lot of stuff that it just throws up there. Um, like especially things like this that are apparently in the public domain, hence it living yep. on its Wikipedia page. And I don't know. I tried to do some digging into this. I didn't try that hard. Um, but is, do we know, is this in the public domain just because, like, the studio, it was released by the Producers Releasing Corporation, which, like, no one has just bothered to do anything with the rights to these movies? Because I feel like otherwise it's just floating out there. Yeah, that that I'm not sure, but I, I have also had that experience with Amazon Prime where I remember um, having seen uh, Caligari and then I wanted to rewatch it, like, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this looks off like i put it on prime and i'm this looks terrible there's no way i sat through this and you know other people have remastered it um i think yeah. kino has a, a disc out of it um but the amazon version of it looked just like mm-hmm. off, like unwatchable yeah that was like mm-hmm. me dylan when i tried to watch the um frankenstein silent film before our yes. um bride of frankenstein episode and i put it on amazon prime and i was like what am i looking at and it was like purple <laughs> and just like literally unwatchable um so yeah there's, there's a tip for you um see if there's maybe anywhere else yeah, with somewhere a restoration yeah because they had, there's no quality control over there they they have a lot of stuff but um yeah so and if it is if, in if public wanna... domain just check your wikipedia page you never know yeah exa- exactly yeah because um, it it does look good and yeah it frankly looks like the one on Wikipedia page is a is a pretty decent little transfer of it. Yep. Um, but anyway, so there's some there's some pretty striking shots like we said in that opening scene, and then also we get a flashback all the way back to um, our main character, who does he have a name? This guy, Al. Is it Al? Okay. Um, it's Al himself. Roberts, I believe. Yes, Al Roberts. Thank you. That is correct. Um, so, our main character, Al, played by Tom Neal, who we can We're gonna have to talk, talk about, about him. Tom Neal. We'll we'll get into him maybe around the end of the movie. Okay, sounds um, good. But because <laughs> I feel like that's the, that will be the most appropriate time to to talk about mm-hmm. our leading man here. Um, but Al is a pianist, a like um, performing piano performer, um, and he has this at a nightclub with. Um, his girlfriend who's a singer um and we get a kind of an extended shot here of her singing and he's playing the piano and they're at this nightclub um and there's one shot in particular that i just wanted to call out in the scene do you guys know the one i'm talking about where she's singing with the um shadows mm-hmm. behind yeah. her like it, it looked really cool um and the so it's pretty noir. visually striking exactly um but so you know they're they're happy there until um she decides to seek fame and fortune she's gonna leave go out to hollywood be a big star um which makes him very sad and sets the plot in motion because he is decides to hitchhike across the country and follow her <laughs> out Just, to la what a what a dumb idea to try to hitchhike across the continental well, united states what? What, and one thing that's interesting about the plot of this movie, too, is that all happens in New York City, right? Like, in New mm-hmm. York City. 
he decides to hitchhike to follow her out there. We pick up with the plot in Arizona. Yep. Like, he's 90% of the way. I mean, so that's another reason why I feel like his his version his of story, events is yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, because so just you had an uneventful hitchhiking all the way until you made it out to, to Arizona. That's a lot of thousands of miles to travel. I do um, got to mention there's a phone call between Sue and Al, which mm-hmm. is, I, I, movies always had this problem where they do a phone call and it's one person's perspective and so they have to either have them talk in a way that you can get what the other person's saying without like cutting Mm -hmm. them um in a sort of response sort of action or to not mess up with the like rhythm of the dialogue they have to have them Mm -hmm. talk kind of fast and it feels a little unrealistic sometimes like that person wouldn't have been able to say that in that amount of time that you weren't speaking um right and and you kind of have to get used to that in movies but this was the dumbest yeah. thing I'd ever seen. He was he didn't he, he was talking conversation. straight. He act he, he there was so many questions with no space and him answering her answer that it would never have been answered. I I was just flabbergasted at what I was watching. It was incredible. Yeah, I guess they just figure like you said either either you want to have both sides, which I think at this time they just didn't really do that. Maybe I don't know, but either you want to have both sides of the conversation or. They're just afraid to let you sit with silence, right? Like, yeah. God forbid, God forbid, he sit there for thirty seconds and like hear her <laughs> respond. Th- three to seconds, he says. <laughs> or three seconds, fair <laughs> enough. But the crazy thing is, is at the end of the phone call, just before he hangs up, it cuts to Sue. Right, <laughs> it's just like, like you, you, you had the shot. <laughs> okay, so another thing um, about this movie that I wanted to get your guys' take on. So it is sixty-eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And it is filled with scenes and sequences that I'm that feel like they're added in for padding in various instances, like repeated shots or yes. just like close-ups of things that don't need to be there. But then there's kind of stuff like that where it's like, well, did we see her side of the conversation? And they just cut that out because they didn't think we wanted to see it. And in doing some of the reading about it, it said that there was a much longer shooting script and they trimmed it down. And so I... I could not figure out the pacing of it to like, if there was a longer shooting script, then how did we end up with this sort of strangely paced 68 minute movie that has like weirdly unnecessary repetitive moments as well? Did you guys think the pacing felt weird or was that just me getting hung up on that? Um, I didn't, it didn't stick out as much to me as it seems like it did to you guys. If only because the movie's so short anyway, Yeah, that, you know, it it never lags too much. Um, oh no, so, it doesn't lag. That's true. Yeah, and that's like, yeah, it it, it didn't bother me too much. Um, Ebert notes that in, in the, his review that they shot this all in six days. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of the weirdness of this movie may be attributed just to that. Like, I don't think they were trying to to make something of the level of like. Uh, you know what Casablanca was or they they just kind of like stumbled into this movie it was a B movie mm-hmm. and it just happens to be like so weird and such an like a nasty movie that uh yeah. it ended up it ended up having this this uh staying power over all this time but I don't think they were setting out to make like you know they, I would I would guess that they would be surprised that we are still watching this in the year 2020 <laughs> right Right. No, I was thinking about that too while we were watching it because there there's so many movies that were made at this time or even more earlier that yeah, they were just thought of as like 
almost disposable forms of entertainment. Like mm-hmm. they were just like B movies. They were short. They were cheap forms of entertainment. Um, and I, I definitely don't think that people gave any consideration. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit with even on a much grander scale, something like Casablanca, where yeah, they were like, yeah. ah, this is just a workaday studio picture. And then, you know, th- th- this is similar on like a, a much lower scale where yeah. <laughs> it's not a Casablanca level movie, but they basically made it. There's some disputes. It might have been made for as little as $20,000. Um, and then some reports say more than that. But they basically just made this cheap little movie that, yeah, I have to imagine that they thought that it would not be included in a list of the great movies and then being right. discussed and restored 80 years later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So the hitchhiking journey finally begins. Um, Al meets up with this bookie named Haskell um, who has a convertible and agrees to give Al a ride. He's heading out to Los Angeles to do some betting. Um and he's like kind of friendly enough, but we also see him constantly asking uh, Al to pass him some pills that he's taking while he's driving. And then as the night goes on, Haskell, they take turns. Haskell goes to sleep while Al drives. And then um, <laughs> I think it's when it starts to rain. And so he pulls over to put the hood of the, um, the top of the convertible up and opens the door. And Haskell is not conscious and apparently no longer alive and falls over <laughs> dead. And this is our first instance of like he, bad luck, apparently. He doesn't just fall for over dead. Well. <laughs> Cause if he, goes, he, if he just fell over dead, like he could uh, just right. call he the police and be out, like, he falls out he, of the he car. Just, and he just died. I don't know what happened. Bon- bonks, bonks his head on a rock, cracks it open. Yeah, specifically this is that the, yeah. big solid pointy rock. Right at the so, bottom of the freeway. Yeah. So Speaking we think of, this is more of a Decalogue situation. <laughs> this may be more of a taxi driver murderer um, yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Because if he just fell over, he'd be like, I don't know. I guess he, uh, you know, is got unconscious. But yeah, this just really bad coincidence where he is unconscious and then cracks his head open on the rock and I'm sure in no way did Al pick it up and brain him over the head with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, if we take Al's word, um, the way it's portrayed in the movie, mm-hmm. seems like he was dead before the rock. Like, <laughs> right. He, him him uh, like hitting the rock, we're really overselling how how delicately he seems to... Right, he kind of just like <laughs> slumps out. I'm, I'm, I'm acting it out now, which yeah. is useful for the podcast, but he kind of just like slumps out of the car um, and... Yeah, the idea that that killed him is, you know, a little bit skeptical. But Al, of course, decides that the police would never believe him, which Mm -hmm. is probably fair, because why should they? Um, And so he decides the thing to do is um, hide the body and steal Haskell's identity. And his clothes. um, And his clothes and his ID and everything and all of his money, um, which so apparently back then... And this seems like it's very important. IDs did not have photographs. They just described what you looked like, right? Like that's the sense I, I got from the that. ID. Because the ID was just like dark hair, dark eyes, and like the age or whatever. So it made it so that, sure, he could just... Because 
these guys don't look alike, like really in any significant way. So I figured, yeah, like, like if you if you were to describe them in that way, like oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's like this tall and he has this color hair and this color eyes. You go, oh yeah, they must look the exact same, yes. right? And it's no, not so much. Yeah. Um, but so he basically steals his whole identity, hides his body off the side of the road, takes his car, his clothes, his wallet, his ID, all of his money, um, and decides to just keep on driving. Um, which results in him reaching the Arizona-California border, which there's, I can't remember the line. I wish I'd written down the line. He said something about that stretch of road, but I don't know if you guys probably have ever driven that stretch of road that's between like Phoenix, Arizona and the California border. No. It is a long, just just nothing, just absolutely nothing on that stretch of road. You can look at the Google Maps and it's just... Just cactus and freeway and nothing else. And I sent you that topographic map of California Uh yesterday. And it's just like the amount of like mountains and mountains on either side of California. Mm -hmm. And then just the low level desert from mid California into Arizona is kind of horrifying. Yeah. um, That that desert stretch. And I'll bring it up again in a second because it becomes relevant again. Uh, But that stretch is just awful. Um, and he reaches the California border, which there is, by the way, a checkpoint at the California-Arizona border. Um, but really all that happens, well, half the time, they just sort of wave you. Th- they see you have California, in my case, they see you have California plates and they just wave you through. Or you'll roll down your window and they'll say, do you have any fruits or vegetables? And you'll say no. And then they just wave you through. Um, and they do ask him that. They ask him if he has any fruits or vegetables. And he says No. They ask him if he has any livestock and then like look in the back, like pull through your life. Like, look in the back of his car. Like maybe he has a bunch of chickens back there or something. Um, and they do kind of like give him the once over. Like the, the yeah. cops at the California, Arizona border, the, the checkpoint people ask to see his ID and registration. They pop his trunk. Good thing he didn't put the body in the trunk or anything. They pop his trunk. <laughs> um, and so this is kind of his first near miss um, with, you know, that sort of starts to make him paranoid, I guess, about mm-hmm. getting caught because he sort of barely gets out of this situation. Um, but he does. He makes it through the, the border patrol and then goes more into the desert where there's still nothing there once you cross the border um, afterwards to go um, stay in a motel, sleep for the night, and put gas in the car um, before continuing. And it is at this gas station where he meets our other main character in this movie, Verna played by Anne Savage, who is a woman who is hitchhiking at this gas station. And this is another sort of plot that felt a little bit too coincidental for me Mm -hmm. that he would run into her here. I kind of justified it as being like, there really is nothing. Like if she's really hitchhiking on the same route he is, there's like, you know, there's only so many places you can even here. stop. They're the only people. So it's not that outlandish necessarily. Um, but he picks up Verna um, from, or I keep saying Verna, Vera. He picks up Vera. Um, and from minute one, she's got quite the attitude, <laughs> this lady. She's she's not your friendly neighborhood damsel in distress. <laughs> Do you want to uh, hear how uh, Tom Neal's character describes her in his narration? Oh, y- yes. Did you write it down? Because uh... she looks like she was thrown off a freight train, but I got just a subtle hint of beauty. 
I mean, I just I wrote say, like she's so fucking gorgeous. Like <laughs> in that opening scene, the only thing is they sort of made her hair crazy. Like they made her mm-hmm. hair look very windblown, and that felt like their attempt to be. And like, she looks she's great. A wild woman. I know. Yeah, she looks fantastic. She's beautiful. <laughs> in in one of the bonus features on cr- the Criterion Channel, they said that they would put like some kind of grease in her hair just to make her look. I don't know, like just grimier and like more yeah. of a street urchin than the actress actually yeah. was. Yeah, you could tell they were trying to make her look kind of wild and and crazy and and downtrodden when mm-hmm. it you know they can they can only do so much. Um, she is a very beautiful woman. Yeah, I do <sighs> like her version of the femme fatale though, where mm-hmm. compared to like every other femme fatale that I can think of, she. Um, is no, you always know that she's up to something, like, mm-hmm. f- for certain. There's yeah. never a doubt in your mind. Mm-hmm. And she sort of tries to seduce him later on, and it just mm. fails miserably. Like, not even close. Right. Yeah, this is not, this movie is not that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is not their relationship. <laughs> that is not how how she's, yeah, how her game works. Um, yeah, I thought she was amazing. And like, for, like you said, from this the first time you meet her, you know she's different than other femme fatales, and you know she, at first, knows more than she's letting on, um, which becomes apparent very quickly because she's she's being kind of quiet. She's sort of staring him down, um, and then she finally confronts him because it turns out she recognizes the car um, and knows he is not, in fact, Haskell because she had... Um, hitchhiked for a spell with Haskell earlier on this trip. I think she says back in St. Louis, maybe, um, that she rode with him for an earlier stretch. Yes, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to say, he mentions earlier in the movie that she that right. he'd been, um, well, he basically like tried to assault yes. a, so a I, female hitchhiker and scratched right, his I, arms up. Right, I forgot to mention when the, in the earlier conversation with Haskell before he died, there's a whole back and forth about these like scratches he has on his forearms, and he basically is like, "Oh yeah, some woman who fought back or something along those lines," and so we'll maybe start putting the pieces together that she was the woman who rode with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is something that drove me absolutely crazy. Because mm-hmm. uh, St. Louis is smack dab on Route 66, which you could expect that Route 66 would be the thing uh, taking them from mm-hmm. uh, basically uh, where they go, where they're going from St. Louis all the way to Los Angeles. Because Los Angeles Route 66 ends up in Los Angeles and is now mostly Interstate 40. However, Interstate 40 is not in Phoenix. Phoenix is Interstate 10. Right. And I know this because is, in New Mexico, the Interstate yeah. 10 goes through Las Cruces and Interstate 40 goes through Albuquerque. So Yeah, and the 10 is the only – sorry to be from Los Angeles. The 10 is the only way to get from Phoenix to L.A. So that's why yeah. I was just like, oh, they're on they're – on, they're taking the 10. I've done they're that a gazillion 10, but... times. But then, yes, that, that, that was a question I had about – terrible at geography like really terrible at geography so even now i'm looking at a map and i'm having to like vague yeah st louis is a lot further north than i thought yeah st louis is actually yeah so um 
Yeah, I'm trying to see. Oh, because, oh, 66 goes up. This is so not interesting. I apologize. It goes up through Barstow and then back down through San Bernardino and into L.A. Mm -hmm. Okay, as opposed to doing, like, the southern route of the 10. And there's an even more southern route that's the 8. Although, Um, would 10 have been around? Because this was before Eisenhower's interstate project. This is this is the stuff people come to a movie this, podcast. No, come on. This is great. The history of highways in America. <laughs> it's called Detour. I can tell you guys. How to, yeah, maybe that's maybe they took a uh, maybe a they detour took a detour. That way, that's that's the titular detour. Yeah, because the ten the ten practically not exactly because you it, you can go south of it here quite a lot. Yeah, it cuts across the very bottom the of the ten, country. It, the 10 roughly goes across the southern border of the United States, more, more or less, um, mm-hmm. or at least the southern edge. And, so. then, and then the 40 goes about through the middle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Must, must have switched over at some point. Also, this See, movie I didn't know enough about is geography filled with so to, much to that BS <laughs> that, like, <laughs> well, this story makes no sense. And I'm pretty sure this guy murdered two people for a bunch of money. <laughs> And then sure. realized he wasn't going to get the money, and now he's moping about it because he can't get a bunch of money out of it. Right. I mean, there there is that. For every, the the nice thing about this movie is that every time something doesn't make sense, you're like, well, he's making it up. Like the story the, doesn't. But check. the really nice thing is it never pulls a sort of like Inception is the top still spinning. Like it doesn't have to like come out and be right, like, right, right. But is he really? actually right. saying the truth it's just There's, this it is the shit, dumbest yeah. thing ever that it ha- it just has to be made up yeah and that makes it all the better i love it right. i love that part yeah. so much yeah that that is true and so um back to our new friend vera who says uh i know you're full of it i know you stole this car you must have killed haskell um and i am going to ride with you to los angeles and then force you to sell the car and give me the money even though really what he says is like well because he decides he needs to sell the car because he's already spooked he knows like he's gonna get or he says he knows he's gonna get caught and so um he was like i'll sell the car and give you half the money and she's like more like all the money and he's like okay <laughs> um he's like i wouldn't like expect you to take sort of, any less right it's this sort of very low like and that i think this goes back to why this can't be what really happened. It's just this very sort of low key, like, okay, I guess I'll sell the car and give you the money. Um, but first they have to hole up in a Los Angeles um, motel room or apartment for a while. Um, Cause it's going to take uh, pretending to be husband and wife um, because it's going to take a few days, I guess, to go around and, and find a good place to sell the car. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the whole scheme. Um, yeah, there really, there really isn't a lot of complicated <laughs> um, sections to this plot. It's just like, okay, they get to L.A. Um, and decide to sell a car. But most of, of what we're seeing during this stretch of the movie is just Vera, really, just being this sort of, like, poisonous, like, aggressive, yeah. like, just... She's the MVP. She's, she's the best. She's so good. I, I think she's fantastic. I think her performance is so, like... It's charismatic, like, in a way where I know she's supposed to be, like, the bad guy. Um, did you see on Wikipedia, by the way, that she was named in one vote one of the top 25 greatest villains on screen? Which, like, I don't for think this for movie? the... Yes! Yes! As a villain, as a great screen oh, villain. there's not a which, villain in this movie. 
Right. Unless it's him. Like, <laughs> unless it's Al. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. So that, I, I saw that and I was like, what? I don't think so. She's not a villain. She just is, you know, she's going to get hers. Like, why shouldn't she blackmail him and, and get the money from the car? She plays number six. It wasn't yes. even like she barely squeaked in. I know. Yeah. Wait, can I, you send the link to this? I'm so curious it's, now. It's, it's on, on the, the Wikipedia. Wikipedia page. It says, oh, okay. in 2007, Richard Corliss, the former editor-in-chief of Film Comment and notable film critic for Time Magazine, ranked Savage's portrayal of Vera at number six on his list of the top 25 greatest villains in cinema history, placing her just behind Barbara Stanwyck's character in Double Indemnity. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, as part but of his still. assessment of Vera, Corliss describes her effects on not only her traveling companion, Al Roberts, but on viewers of the film as well. And I'm not going to read his whole quote here, but basically, um, actually, I, well, I'll, maybe I'll read the quote when we get to the final scene, because the way he describes the final scene of this movie is wild. Um, it basically makes it seem like she is just this like master manipulator, evil person, calls her a harridan. Um, you know, there, there, there may be some, <laughs> some, uh, issues with him not, uh, being a particularly generous, I, um, I, I want to come out and women. correct the, um, the record. Cause I went mm-hmm. to the, um, the, um, what's it called? The annotation on the uh-huh. Wikipedia. This is yes. in, um, the citation. This is in chronological order. This is not in actual order. So when they say uh, she's number oh. six. Okay. That's in chronological still, order. She still shouldn't be. She, she, uh, she still on shouldn't a list be on there, but when we should we shouldn't accept that it's like she's number six because she's the sixth best. She's the sixth in order. Okay. Well, that is bad Wikipedia writing. Um, yeah, th- that is really he did bad. Not, he did not rank writing. her number six if it's sixth chronologically. Um, but it's, yeah. Because he also basically says that she, part of what makes her a villain is her effect on the audience. But like, I thought she was fun to watch. Like, yeah. I, I didn't find her upsetting or or even annoying. And I don't know if we were supposed to find her annoying, but I thought she was hilarious. Um, and I liked the way that she sort of pushed Al around because yeah, he's kind he of a it. sad sack loser who needs to get pushed around He is a the bit. grumpiest person. Um, sorry to go back to this list because this is driving me no. crazy. But um, do you guys want to guess who the first person? That's uh, if you saw, if you saw chronologically. Was, oh, you, that was, was you reading it. It was me reading it, yeah. Okay, that, is it like the Wicked Witch of the West or something? No. She's set a third, I think. Okay, Nick. all right. So it's, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so it's before then. I, I don't know. It's Silas Lynch from uh, uh, Birth of a Nation, who is a mulatto that works with the abolitionists against the Klan. Cool. Y'all should, yeah. you all should cool, see Janice's cool face list. here. List Richard Corliss. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the first greatest. I mean, his, oh my god, I'm his, about to. His second, I'm about to, his, his second pick is good. What's the second yeah. one? Yeah, M. Uh, Peter Peter Laurie and M. Oh yeah. sure, okay. He's a child murderer, right? Yeah. Okay. At the very um, least, maybe. Okay, I'm. I'm. Yeah. Uh, you know the equivalent to abolitionists. Yes. <laughs> I, oh, never mind. I was going to try to, like, mount a defense to be, like, if you take away all cultural context and you're talking about the craft of movie making and that a movie in itself has protagonists and antagonists, and I, I'm not going to make that argument for Birth of the Nation. It's not worth 
the, nope. the mental energy. Um, Just I I, wow. I was scrolling because I was trying to see to check that this list was in alphabetical in uh, chronological order, and then I was just like, "Oh no!" Yeah. That is, I I'm, I am now I am now looking at this. <laughs> we're we're gonna need to talk to Richard Cortless. So yeah. Um... Wait, hold on. I don't even know what some of these are. Um... Is Tashira Mufune and Rashomon in this? That that doesn't. <laughs> okay. This is a we, this is a weird. This is a weird list. list. <laughs> just, some of these you can't just... call villains. Other ones should not be discussed as villains. Um. Here's Agira okay. on here. That's a good pick. That's yeah. A, yeah. Okay, that, that's not a movie Agira with heroes or villains, though. That's well, just that's just psychotic. If you on there, then at that point, like, then what? What kind of conversation are we having about sort of like good versus evil or protagonist versus antagonist? I don't know, man. Um, okay, but then he has like Ray Fines in fucking Schindler's List. So mm. Ving Rhames as Marcellus is Marcellus. Wait, Wallace Marcellus the Wallace villain? is definitely not the villain of that movie. Is he the villain of Pulp Fiction? No. <laughs> I mean, I think if you uh, went up to Quentin Tarantino and said the yeah. villain of Pulp Fiction is, he would slap you so hard <laughs> and beat your ass for even starting that sentence. I think Bing Rames would too. Um, yeah, I'm gonna get medieval on your ass. So, so he has 25 picks. Yes, he opted to use one from Star Wars. He did. He used Palpatine from the prequel trilogy. That's. <laughs> 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 Dylan literally just fell out of his chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no Darth Vader as one of the greatest film villains of all time, but Palpatine from the prequel trilogy. What is going on? Oh, I am God. so sad I exited out of this Jedi. now. But I'm going to have to go through um, this later. What's, what's the most also, recent one, though? Is that it? Also, by I know way, it's from 2000. Also, okay, so when you go to, like, the 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 main the, the page where it says full list top 25 greatest villains um and then the top of the list says evil characters which is not the same thing necessarily as film villains because no oh my gosh i i i, I don't know i don't know about this list I mean, I, I feel bad fighting anyone with any list because I know opinions are subjective and people think see things different ways but this is the this stupidest feels, thing I've ever seen. This yeah. feels different to me. <laughs> I'm going to say. He's got, he, but there are some good picks on here. Like he has Uncle Charlie from Shadow of a Doubt. Which I is, love yeah. that pick. That was a it's solid a, pick. It's a great performance. It's a really underrated Hitchcock movie. Like it's a good deep cut pick. But then, I mean, my guy, what are you doing? I still can't picking, get over the birth of a nation. Yeah, pick it. Okay. I so, mean, okay. Maybe like Ann Savage and Mifune are just like kind of just like. Or, and especially, like, Ving Rains and Pulp Fiction are just kind of like, that's strange, but... Yeah, the thing about the Mufune pick is that, like, he could be, depending yeah, on... Yeah, that's the whole point of how... Rashomon. Yeah, this depending is on Cor- how you no, interpret Cor- that Cor- story. This is Corliss coming down and making a decision yeah. and saying he, in fact, is the person who knows what really happened in Rashomon. <laughs> Contrary uh, to everything we know I think if you went up to Akira films. Kurosawa and was like... Mifune is the villain. He would just slap you also. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. It reminds me of the, the Simpsons joke where Marge tells Homer, they're talking, I forget how it comes up, but she says something about, well, you liked Rashomon. And he says, that's not the way I remember, I remember it. it. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of the best. Um, I have gone down. A so, so what is the most recent one on the list? If it's not it was, Palpatine. It Palpatine. 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 Oh, it was Palpatine. Palpatine. Oh, okay. Yeah. This came out in, I think it said it was in April 2007 and... Later on in 2007, you get also, two of the greatest movie villains of all time. He also has Michelle and Daniel Pfeiffer. Daniel and Sugar. He also has Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, which, okay. Meow. Um, meow. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, presumably from, you know, the, the, the original the first, the Terminator. Yeah. I would not which, be sure. surprised. No, from Terminator, Terminator Three. Yeah, he has it in two. Yeah. But yeah, his his yeah, but his his final three being Marcellus Wallace and then Hannibal Lecter and then Palpatine is just. I got I have more questions than I did when I had just seen the Anne Savage pick. <laughs> now I have even more. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Sorry yeah, he should have waited a couple months yeah. until he got Daniel Plainview and Sugar. Right. Those are, yeah. Those yeah. are legend movies. That's. Villains. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but back back to Vera, who is is not a villain of this movie or any movie. Um, Preach. You know she she does she does needle him. She does harass him, but he sucks, so that's okay. Um, yep. They kind of drive each other crazy. Hold up in this apartment. Um, at one point, he goes to one of the auto dealer places to sell the car. And I can you, can you remember how much? He's gonna sell the car for. I, I wish I had written it down. It was. It was like no. Some, so I, I think know, it was like eighteen thousand. Like like eight, sorry, eighteen hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I and they like wanted like maybe, two. I think they wanted yeah, two thousand. Two thousand for it, which like, frankly, oh, I guess that's a really fancy car. I was like, I in today's yeah, dollars, for, according yeah. to this calculator, that's twenty. It's just shy of twenty nine for 000. a used car. I mean, I guess yeah. it's like a fancy convertible. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's a according to Wikipedia, it's a nineteen forty one Lincoln Continental. Um, so, you know, that's a nice car. Um, but before, um, he can sell the car, uh, Vera comes running in and stops him and says, we're not going to sell the car because she has a new plan. (laughs) Well, hold on. We got to talk about the whole thing where the person that's buying the car is like, so what insurance do you have? And he's like, oh, uh, and he's like, you don't even need the number. Just tell tell me the agency. The insurance company. Uh, yeah, because apparently at this time when you sold a car, he was like, we can either cancel it or transfer it. So we just need to know what insurance you have. Um, he's giving him so many outs of just like, mm-hmm. just the most basic knowledge. Just, just pick an insurance company. How many could there have been? <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or could you not say that you didn't have insurance? Like you, you weren't legally required to carry auto insurance until like 10 years ago or uh, maybe 20 years ago now, but you know, it was not, not always a rule. I feel like you could have been like, Oh, I already canceled it. Cause I knew I was going to sell it or something. Like he's a bad liar. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is really what it boils down to. <laughs> or he's it, a great liar. If or he's a great story. liar. Yeah. Depending <laughs> on how, how you mm-hmm. want, how you view yeah. the whole movie. It reminded me of, um, being at Dwight being asked what his dentist's name is. Crentist. <laughs> 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 That's yeah. a great episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's already like totally floundering, and then um, yeah, because when she does come in and is like, "We're not selling, let's go," 
his first reaction is like, thanks for saving me, because he was just yeah. totally like his, his his scheme was was breaking down. So he's like, oh, thank, thanks for coming in there and getting me out of that jam. Um, but it turns out that apparently the reason she came in to stop the sale is that she has read in the paper, saw on mm-hmm. the news. She has come into the information that Haskell's estranged and wealthy father is about to die um, and figures out that or decides that what they should do is wait it out. Because at first he's like, well, I can't go see this guy's dad. I'm not him. He'll know I'm not him. And she's like, no, it's fine. Um, He's near death. Let's just wait until he dies and then show up as the long estranged son. And then you will inherit the, all the estate. Um, And Al does um, have some objections to this plan where he's basically like, someone's going to recognize me or not or recognize that I'm not him. I don't know anything about Haskell, like where he went to school or any of his basic biographical information. <laughs> what his um, middle name is. What his middle name is. Um, anything about his mother. Um, but like Vera seems pretty convinced that this is some sort of great plan that will, will get him to, or now will get her ultimately this grand payoff from the, state of this guy which i can't remember and i didn't write it down um it's just that he's just like a, a rich guy and he he's it's, there's a story in the paper because he wants to find his son or he's estranged from his son and so they wrote about it in the paper that are it seems like a good way to set up a con is what i'm saying <laughs> that a rich guy <laughs> says in the paper like i'm dying and i'm searching for my long estranged son i feel like that it's like you know how in Cinderella, when like all the girls try to shove their foot mm. in the glass slipper and it won't fit, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of like well, it's like that where it's like okay, you're you're out looking for someone who you don't really remember what they look like, so um, <laughs> get a, it's a good way to get does, a parade of people showing up to try to claim an inheritance that's not theirs. That's all. Yeah. Does the paper um, mention that he's estranged from his son, or is, does it just have the, the Haskell Senior's name? I, somehow they seem to know that they haven't been in contact in a long time. Yeah. Well, part of the, I think yeah. that's what the yeah, newspaper article said. Is it uh, in a... It's something that I know uh, Haskell had said to him that he left after. Oh, that's right. He, he, was... he, had, he had like a sword fight with a, another schoolmate, <laughs> and then he right. left right after that. <laughs> he does say that. Yeah, I forgot he did say he's going back to L.A. for the first time in like decades. So mm-hmm. they do know he hasn't been. It's, so they, they at least know he hasn't been there. Um, yeah. yeah. What a what a bad plan. Um, yeah, it's not the best of uh, of cons. It seems like, in Al's defense, he's mm-hmm. pretty right in that this is probably going to result in them getting arrested. Right. And, and yeah, and and once if they get caught for doing this, then yeah, the whole yeah the whole scheme is going to fall apart. Um, that said, from from Vera's point of view, it's like she's basically free rolling. Because if she it didn't works, she kill gets, Haskell. <laughs> yeah, if it works, she gets half the money. If it doesn't work, she'll be like, "I didn't know that this guy murdered somebody." Yeah, he just picked me up in his car. Yeah, uh, he told me that his name was Haskell. Yeah, uh, yeah, She has really good plausible deniability, honestly, yeah. for saying that she was just going along with the the story. It's not a, not a bad plan on her part. Um, but after after uh, Al says he doesn't want to do this, we reach our our big climactic scene they go back to the apartment and vera gets pretty drunk and they have like a really kind of fantastic fight i think she's so good in this scene um Mm. playing like drunk and angry but in a believable way um 
and sort of gets very aggressive with him and then starts threatening to say that she's going to just call the police. Basically, if he doesn't go along with what she wants to do, then she's just going to call the police mm. and end this whole thing. Um, and she's very emotional. Um, and then this she, is, she does. This is where I wrote that I hated the narration because there's this really interesting dialogue that starts and they mm-hmm. start getting really heated with each other. And then it yeah. just cuts to like an outside shot of the building there and through the window. And he's like, we argued for hours and hours. We couldn't come to I, a decision, and yeah, I liked that shot. I, I like. I, there was there's some interesting shots shot. in this just... movie of like through windows and things. But no, I, I do know what you mean. It really takes the momentum out of the scene when it's just like. I hated that. Anyway, so we mad. we fought some more. <laughs> You're like, I just want to watch this scene play out. Don't tell me what's <laughs> happening. Just let it happen. Exactly. Um, but in in her rage, um, she does something that all normal human people do <laughs> well so first you know she threatens the call and and then what is she does something to distract him to get him to like go to the other side of the room and i can't remember what she she, she asked him to open the window yeah i think she yeah, oh, oh she's like she's like i'm so hot in here and i think she's like i'm really hot in here and he's like it's not hot in here um and then finally he's like fine i'll go open the window he goes to open the window she grabs the telephone she runs into the other room shuts the door behind her Wraps the telephone cord around her own neck. As, as one does. As one does. Um, to lay on the bed and say, I'm going to call the cops. Um, and then um, Al, you know, goes running to the door. Can't get the door open. Yanks on the phone cord, ostensibly to try to disconnect the phone. And so starts shouting at her. And eventually everything falls silent. Then he breaks the door down. And oops, he has... Bad luck accidentally strangled uh, poor Vera to death by the phone cord. Um, just, you know, the real culmination of all the bad luck <laughs> that um, our buddy Al has had in this movie so far. He didn't think to unplug it from the wall. So, no, literally, so Matt and I turned to each other and we're like, maybe it was hardwired back then and you couldn't unplug it from the, like, no, that's the thing. It's like, the cord's in your room, buddy. Cut it or, or pull it out I know, from that's the wall where you are. Just... Get a scissors or something. Yeah, do literally anything other than what you just did. Um, so, yeah, poor, poor. Also, like, when he does then break the door down, like, it wasn't that hard for him to do. So probably, if yeah. he needed to get into that room, probably could have just done that first. Um, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, Vera is is um, is dead. Poor Vera. Um, and and now Al is just really in a tight spot because he just has littered dead bodies in his wake. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, that's we get some narration at, at the end, right? That he, he's he's back on the road. We're back at the uh, back sort of where we started, where he's gotten out of town. He's he's hitchhiking back out. Um, should mention that he did never get in touch with his girlfriend that he came to Hollywood to see. Um, there was one time when he attempted to call her and didn't end up speaking up to her, hangs yeah. up, right? Just sort of calls and doesn't speak to her. He didn't want to bother her with multiple murder. I mean, you don't want to drag her into this situation, that's for sure. Um, and then there's a, a sort of a very interesting end to this movie where he we go back to the diner 
and um we see him like walking along the side of the road hitchhiking and in voiceover narration he says like you know i knew one day the law would catch up to me and we just see a police car pull over and sort of wave him in and he just gets in the police car and (laughs) drives away and according to wikipedia this was entirely a like Hayes code requirement where you weren't murderers weren't allowed to get away with murder so they had to have a scene at the end where he like gets in a cop car <laughs> because otherwise mm-hmm. if he just ends the uh, ends the movie hitchhiking we needed to know for sure that he would inevitably be arrested um but i actually kind of liked the weird sort of spooky that's what gave it sort of a twilight zone quality to me where it did. right where it just sort of ends with the police car just pulling over and he just gets in it and that's the inevitable end to his story um and yeah i mean yeah. if you if you take him at uh face value like mm-hmm. if, if we believe that it, him telling the story mm-hmm. is true or the story that he's telling is true uh the whole like point of the movie is just about fate like right. he, he talks about mm-hmm. fate like tr- like sticking its foot out and tripping you or something mm-hmm. to that effect and all these things just lined up to screw over this guy yeah because like you know he, he probably could have pulled the phone cord out of the wall, but it's not like he murdered her in cold blood. Right. Like as, as depicted uh, or as, as described by mm-hmm. him, it certainly seems like an accident, mm-hmm. but just, you know, a couple accidents. Right. Um, and he gets into the wrong situations and then mm-hmm. suddenly he's being picked up and he's gonna like, as she, like, and she even points out, points out to him, like they're in Arizona and, Right. He's he's quite certainly going to get the death You're penalty. You're going to get the gas chamber. There's a couple references yeah. to uh, how Arizona will have no problem killing him uh, <laughs> if they arrest him for murder. So, yeah, that is that is the uh, sort of tight little story of, of this movie. Um, was there any other notes or anything anyone had that we I just missed? wanted to read a couple of... Uh interactions between the two of them during their sure, great dialogue scenes before mm-hmm. they got interrupted by dumb narration. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're discussing about the sleeping arrangements in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And um, they they get out a, like a pull-down bed from the closet. Mm-hmm. And she goes, you know how to work the bed? And he goes, work it? I invented it. <laughs> I was just like... Okay. <laughs> You invented the pull-down bed, and you're also a concert pianist, and you're also a double homicide murderer? Yeah, that that, that would be a more interesting story of the guy who invented the, uh, yeah, the bed that pulls out from the wall. I just, I was so confused. And then there's another part where, uh, one of you mentions, like, he's, I think it was Nick, just mentioned, like, he's not buying into her seductions. But then mm. at one point he's like, she's like, don't you like me? And he's like, like you? Like you. I love you. I love you. I was just like, what? Yeah, that that line was wild. <laughs> well, I, I like I like that line because um, you think, like, in a, in a shittier movie, it's going to be like, they end up falling in love. And mm-hmm. he even sort of alludes yeah. to, to that, like, right. it, you know, in a Hollywood story, they would fall in love. But in this one, like you, I love you. And then the the line is my favorite sport is being kept prisoner so him saying he loves her yeah. is just like the meanest thing he could possibly say to right her at that moment. Yeah, yeah exactly he basically is like you're holding me hostage here in this yeah. room and blackmail and everything so yeah um one thing that i really liked about the movie that we didn't talk about is after he like breaks into the room and finds her body just the shot of him looking around the mm-hmm. room it like zooms in and out of stuff and it goes in and out of focus and it's just like sort of mimicking him sort of looking around the mm-hmm. room and 
seeing all the things in there. I, I just really like the way that was depicted. Yeah, it's really, it feels very disorienting, but I, I think you're right, like mm-hmm. in a way where it feels like you're in his headspace where he's having this panicked reaction of looking around at the scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Um. Yeah, so I guess... <laughs> This is where I had a note to talk talk Tom Tom Neal very briefly. So Tom Neal, star of this film, um, prior to becoming an actor, was a successful amateur boxer. Um, And and as I alerted you guys to, the the literal one-sentence opening of Tom Neal's Wikipedia page is just a journey that you don't want to go on. But um, I'll share it with everybody anyway. Thomas Carroll Neal Jr. was an American actor and successful amateur boxer, best known for his co-starring role in the critically lauded film Detour. Okay, for having a widely so far so good for having a widely publicized affair with actress Barbara Payton. Okay, okay, scandal, but all right, and for later being convicted and imprisoned for manslaughter. Bummer. <laughs> Which, given this movie, I know. And yeah. so, not only given this movie, so you see convicted and imprisoned for manslaughter, and you're like, well, that's bad. And you know, Nick and I were talking about it. It's like, you know, he probably drove drunk, or maybe he got into a fight mm. at a bar and somebody died. Yes. You know, these ter- just a terrible tragedy of a situation. Um, but it turns out that what actually happened was that his third wife was yeah. found dead in their home, shot in the back of the head. Um, and the, he was charged with murder, and the police sought the death penalty, um, but a jury only convicted him of involuntary manslaughter because he claims that they were in a fight and she pulled out a gun and held it to his head and that during the struggle, the gun accidentally went off killing her. You know, um Mm-hmm. As as happened, so but basically, it's really a story fitting his character in this movie. Where if that's what actually happened, that really is just an absolutely terrible bad luck thing for a situation for him to find himself in, or maybe he shot his wife in the head and then claimed it was an accident. Yeah, <laughs> Who knows? His, his first wife divorced him, citing mental and physical cruelty, and he um, beat his second wife in front of his mistress. In their yard, she ended up having to be hospitalized. So I'm not gonna give him the, the benefit, guy, of, the benefit doubt. of the doubt. No. Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of, I probably wouldn't have in the first place because uh, I'm a person who's right seen other people in my right. life. You know how know the world works. A, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, did it say that he called the police after she had been shot? Yeah, yeah. I think it says he called the police to the house and and claimed it okay. was an accident. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just the amount of parallels that go uh-huh. along with this dumbass. It's movie really story. creepy. It's really creepy. Yeah. Um, Honestly, yeah. of the three things that happened, this is not the most unbelievable but not the least unbelievable murder <laughs> yeah, it's true it's true if you i still look- think opening a car door and having someone that's already passed out hit their head on a rock and just immediately getting the police and just being like i don't know what to do here i'm hitching right i'm hitchhiking that's and- at least a little bit more believable than my wife pointed and- a gun at me and right. in my violent temperament it went off and she and ha- shot herself. And Haskell um, had been, like, he had been taking all those pills. If the, Again, assuming that story he was telling was true. Like, um, uh-huh. no, I, will say, I will say, as far as the back to the, the world of the movie and not the real world, 
when the first death happened, I still was like, I believe him. Oh, what what an unfortunate accident. Same. Um, and it wasn't really until sort of like the story progressed that I was like, oh, I don't know that maybe that's what really happened. Yeah. I, like, I, I believed him at first. But as things went on, I, I became more and more skeptical. But yeah, kind, just just totally wild. Um, just to wrap it up, um, he ended up, uh, Tom Neal ended up being sentenced to one to 15 years in prison. He only served six um, and then he was released, but a year later he died of heart failure. So, you know, and end of his story, but yeah. Did you see that, uh, after his acting career, he went and started work as a landscaper and a gardener? I did see that. Yeah. It looks like maybe out in Palm Which Springs. Which is, that would be um, weird. Yeah. Um, well, you know and- what's, <laughs> you know what's also stra- uh, strange? Ann Savage didn't act much after yep. this like she yep. basically I also was going to bring this up she basically left the industry although what i think is kind of fun about her is that for the rest of her life oh she died on christmas oh wait um but for the rest of her life and then her later years especially like she was proud of this movie she would show up at, at festival screenings and restorations Legend. and tributes and things and so which she should be she rules um yeah, in yeah. this movie even and though so, she's a villain even though she's a villain allegedly um but so oh, she'd have been live when corliss wrote that then yeah yeah, because she didn't die. Don't do that to her. Um, but her her performance in this it's uh, it's almost too much, and that's what's so great about it. Yes, right. she she never quite goes Uno O'Connor. <laughs> I mean, no, no Uno O'Connor um, slander on this podcast, but I I do agree that she right is right at that edge of, and that's kind mm-hmm. of why I disagreed with the Corliss write up words. Like it's her effect on the audience, and I'm like. I, I loved watching her. Like I, yeah, I yeah. did not. She was not offensive to me personally. I thought she was great. Um, so and, yeah, uh, like it, it. It also fits just the wild tone of this movie. Like this movie, just like mm-hmm. her performance, is almost too much of being stupid. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it just rides that line, and it becomes very enjoyable for writing that line so well. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, after Savage was done with acting, she uh, took odd jobs in finance flying lessons and became a licensed oh. pilot. And she was a part-time owner of a small tool company and took secretarial courses. She became, I believe I read this, um, she... Da, da, da. Did I see this? Yes, she, she became a legal secretary at a law firm that is still a very prestigious law firm in Los Angeles. So that's kind of cool. Lobe. Lobe and Loeb, yeah. Um, which like legal secretaries at fancy law firms, like that's not a bad job. <laughs> like they, <laughs> that, that's, that's a pretty good job to have. Um, so, you know, she just went on and sort of had a career for herself. Um, and it said she was keen on the preservation and celebration of all things Hollywood and like was on an advisory board for like a Hollywood heritage foundation. So I think it's kind of nice that she, you know, left the industry, but was not, not at, due to sort of like resenting it or anything that mm-hmm. she still like apparently. Tom yeah. She, she wasn't estranged. Right. Exactly. She did. Yeah. She didn't feel like it doesn't seem like cast out or anything. She just, you know, um, left Los Angeles and was married and, you know, had kind of a regular life and was awesome in yeah. this movie. So Tom Neal's amateur boxing record, um, he went thirty-one and one. Yeah. Until uh, he lost his last two, and then looks like he retired after that. Yeah, and then wow. started acting. Yeah, he has like yeah. You can see his entire amateur boxing. It's a lot of wins. Yeah. Record on on Wikipedia, and it's pretty impressive. Um, all in Cambridge. Another note. Um, 
Another note from the Wikipedia page is there was a remake of Detour in 1992 starring Tom Neal Jr. Oh, jeez. As the main character. Could you remake this movie now? Maybe. Uh... I mean, I mean, a lot of it, I guess, like, this is the, the problem with... Um, modern society like any any movie that's plot hinges on like stealing someone's identity is so hard in in modern times because yeah you're gonna get you'd have to so quickly but you'd have to do too much uh like explaining this mm-hmm. it would, it would it have up. to be a coincidence that they looked alike or something mm-hmm. and yeah well i mean i guess um in its own way talented mr ripley is sort of oh sure yeah hmm I don't think it was based on. I don't think the Patricia Highsmith book was in any way based on no, this movie. No, but, but, it's, but it's, that is it's a similar... not far away from like yeah. ridiculous, yeah, murder quote quote mm-hmm. story, yeah, and identity questioning, yeah. Interesting. So, interesting yeah. comp. Yeah. All right. What are you gonna say, Nick? Oh, it's this is a, a very far off tangent. Um, oh, good. Have you guys seen the Tommy Wiseau movie, The Room? I I have. Yes. <laughs> Do Sadly. you know why um, the character is named Mark? Oh, hi, Mark. Not Mark. Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Um, no, I do not. It is because Tommy had just seen a movie that he really liked uh, when he was writing the script, and he wanted Greg to play the character uh, that he was going to name after um, the actor that he liked so much in the movie Talented Mr. Ripley. Mark, Mark Damon. Damon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I, Tommy I Wiseau. Just... That, is, that is fantastic. Um, Incredible movie. Once we can leave our house again, houses again, one of the first things I want to do is oh, go back to a the room screening of the room. It's so fun. I, the, I, the I went to one. I, I had a friend who insisted that if I was going to go see um, Disaster Artist, that I needed to see the room first, and that Absolutely. I could only see the room if I went to a screening of it. And so I all. 30 something years old dragged my ass to a midnight screening of the room like right at like basically at ucla so it was a bunch of ucla college students and me like propping myself up with coffee to go to a midnight movie and it was so fun like it it was a really really fun time um i did later like i i ended up getting the room on dvd so i could show it to some other friends so i i saw it at home too but um i do recommend it as a fun fine night out if you can hack a midnight screening or something it's truly one of the most entertaining things i've ever done is go to the i've been to i think three or four yeah. oh my god it's so fun just the best yeah um did, did you guys like disaster artist though i did not really yeah, yeah I, I like the like I, I like the book i, like I didn't the like book. the movie that much i like yeah. the movie fine i think i thought it was funny i didn't like feel super strongly about it um but yeah i remember yeah, I went and saw that, like, opening night with a bunch of friends, too. So that was kind of, like, a fun way to see it. Like, the the energy in the room for seeing Disaster Artist on opening night was not super far off from seeing the room in mm-hmm. theaters also. So that probably helped quite a bit. People were. Yeah, I didn't I saw... see Disaster Artist in theaters, and that may have, like, colored. Yeah, because people uh, were, like, laughing reaction. and shouting and, and being rowdy in my Disaster Artist screening. <laughs> 
Yeah, I saw Disaster Artist in, in theaters, but I saw it with my mom who didn't know what the room was. And my That's, brother and I had to explain that to her. Yeah, <laughs> I had done like a big party the night before to show a, a bunch of my friends the room. And then the next night we all went to see Disaster Artist. So it was like a, you know, you can sort of eventize it and, and it's fun. I'm not, I've never felt compelled to watch it again. I haven't even really thought about it until <laughs> we just brought it up right now. So, although like you did say, but book's good. It, it's a it's a worthwhile read. Um, uh-huh. For sure. All right. Ebert quotes for Detour. Um, there's a bunch All of them. Right. Um, um, if, if, if I can give a dishonorable yeah, mention, so ver- if I want to give a dishonorable mention very quickly, because you know I, I can't help it um, with Roger sometimes. Um, he, he has a line where yep. he says, Tom Neal makes Al flaccid, passive, and self-pitying. That's perfect for the material. In real life, Neil was as unlucky as Al. He was convicted of manslaughter in the death of his third wife. <laughs> and that, that is what Roger has to say about that. <laughs> like, Roger. I, I guess he's... He's as he's unlucky as, as Al. He's as unlucky as Al if Roger, That's too, true. takes the... Maybe he's being tongue-in-cheek and... That, Okay, that that will help me feel better. Um, I am. I feel like I'm giving him I maybe a little so, too much credit because um, <laughs> that's really not the thing that you want to be tongue in cheek about. Right. the murder of a uh, person. I, I will say to, to to turn it back around. I do like he goes on to say, Anne Savage's work is extraordinary. There is not a single fleeting shred of tenderness or humanity in her performance as Vera as she snaps out her pulp dialogue and has the quote that I really liked. What'd you do? Kiss him with yeah. a wrench. Kissing with uh, a wrench. Yeah. So, you know, he, he then describes her performance as extraordinary. So you you won me back, Roger. I I really need to know if you'd put her on a villain list, though, because... <laughs> right? Corliss was part of uh, the Ebert show for a yeah, while. that's After Siskel's uh, death. Yeah. All right, Dylan, what quote do you have? Uh, I, I, I think... Uh, mainly just the last paragraph, but I think mm-hmm. the start of the last paragraph does it pretty well. Do these limitations and stylist and transgressions hurt the film? No, they are the film. Detour is an example of material finding the appropriate form. So, nice. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And I will go with um, the difference between a crime film and a noir film is that the bad guys in crime movies know they're the, know they're bad and want to be while a noir hero thinks he's a good guy who's been ambushed by life. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was a really good, good essay um, in yeah, general, even though I sort of called out a goofy line. Um, yeah. I, I, I thought it was a, a good essay that does a really good job of basically how we all felt about it too, which is, yeah. you know, I like that he basically, he basically just starts with like, this movie's kind of a piece of shit, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, objectively, like it's, it's not a well-made film. Yeah. yeah. Like, I like it, but it sucks, right? Mm-hmm. But it's good. But, but he it's do- terrible. Yeah, and he does also call out Al as, like, kind of sucking. Like, he has one of his lines earlier where he says, um, um, you know, about Vera. Sure, she has the key to the room, but any woman who kills a bottle of booze in a night could be dodged fairly easily. Al stays because he wants to stay. He wallows in mistreatment. Um, and then even yeah. at the end of the essay, he has the quote. He says, at the end, Al is still complaining. Fate for some mysterious force can put the finger on you or me for no good reason at all. Oh, it has a reason. So Roger calls him out in, in the end for Al yeah. kind of sucking. So, yeah. All right. What would you guys think? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Where do we of land? Of course. No, definitely oh. thumbs up. <laughs>
All right. And how many stars, Dylan? I'm somewhere between three and three and a half. Um, I know if I go three and a half and both of you go four, though, we would give this all the, the, the podcast rating would be five out of five. And that would be ridiculous. No um, gamesmanship. Yeah, just just give it your give it your rating. I'll give it no. three and a half. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna give it a three and a half too. Yeah, and I'm also giving it a three and a half. So okay, right. that's good. Yeah, you're you're fine. I mean, I don't know if we've gone straight three and a halfs yet. I don't know either. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was I was three and a half to four. I I'm, I'm sort of tempted to go towards four simply, if, especially if I'm like judging it on a scale of sort of execution of what it is. Like I think it's just such a phenomenal example of this kind of movie but kind of like roger said it objectively has some some problems yeah. um but man yeah. what a rating fun rating time. movies is weird because i agree that like if we had just recently watched a stretch of movies that i'd only given a bunch of like two and a half or three mm-hmm. stars to i i might end up giving this a four right but i've given so many fours lately and that's like a terrible rationale i know here we are yeah exactly what rating rating movies is it's pretty silly, but it's it's yeah. what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. So. All right. Um, do we want to do a quick check-in of what we've been watching before we wrap up? Yeah. Going back well, to I the last time so- we did what we've been watching? Yeah. For the I, last think I've uh, seen, <laughs> I think I've seen 50 movies since okay, we well, last talked pick, about that. Yeah, pick, yeah. Pick I, some highlights. I was joking. Let's do like, yeah. we'll do like the last week. You guys maybe. don't need to hear about like every yeah. Christmas movie I've watched in the past. Like, no. <laughs> so... A lot of my movies have boiled down to either um, preparing for, uh, we've been talking about doing a best of 2020 pod, mm-hmm. and so I've been just binging a bunch of 2020 movies, so I will leave all of those until our finale pod. Um, and then I've also been doing a personal watch-a-thon of just a bunch of movies that I haven't seen yet that I really want to see, and um, I might do something with that later so i won't talk about that the two that i have rewatched recently were uh ratatouille and the thing and i just want to reemphasize that ratatouille and the thing are the freaking best and everyone should watch those the the john carpenter the thing yeah john carpenter's the thing just watch those every day of the week they're so good i gotta watch the thing maybe i'll wait till you haven't seen the thing i've never seen the thing i think i'd like it but um how how much do you know about the thing I think I know everything about it. I, I like I was, uh, li- I was listening to something recently that literally talked about the ending, so I know how it ends. Um, okay, so. it's just so fun to like if you don't know who it is or what's going to happen. I don't know that. That I don't know. I don't even know who any of the actors are or anything in it. So I don't know. Like I know con- I know the conceit, and I sort of know. Sure. The, the okay. Note, sure, sure, sure. I know the conceit and the note that it ends on, but I don't know like any specifics. There's an animal, right? I know that there's like a thing with maybe like a dog or something. Um, <laughs> There's a good dog. Is it a good? There is, is a, good a very dog? good dog that turns into a very bad dog. I was gonna say. I was like, I think, I think the thing gets the dog. Um, so no, it's it's definitely on my list. I want to check that out. Uh, but like, I watched that one with my brother, and um, he knew about like one of the really big scenes, mm-hmm. and his reaction to that one was just like, I've seen this scene before. You know, this mm-hmm. is pretty cool effects. But like, is it where they're this... doing the test? No, he knew the defibrillator scene. Yeah, so during the test scene, especially, like, as that starts going down, like, he was just, like, covering his face in his jacket, and then, you know, the stuff happens with some of the results of the test, and his, his, like, mouth was just, like, 
just dropped and was like, I was like, yeah, this, this is how I would want someone to watch the thing. It's just what the crap. And I just yeah, love the thing. Yeah. All right. What Perfect about you, Nick? Um, I'll just go through real quick what I watched this past week. Um, so I watched Sound of Metal. Good movie from this year. I watched the Taylor Swift Folklore Studio Sessions movie. and eh, you know, it's fine. Uh, I like the songs in it. I don't like the stuff in between the songs. Um, mm. Rewatched Eyes Wide Shut. That movie rules. I watched Wolf Walkers. That movie rules. Yes. I watched Varda by, uh, Varda by Agnes, which is apparently how it's pronounced. Oh. Uh, Agnes, Varda. Agnes, okay. So this is, yeah. Have you guys seen um, De Palma, the, docu- or like the documentary that Bombach made? Um, I've seen clips from it. I have not seen the whole thing. Okay. This is a similar sort of deal where um, it's just like her talking about, you know, at the end, it's the last thing she made. It's her talking about her movies. And I think that we should make all directors do this. Like once Mm -hmm. they reach a certain age, just like, sorry, Scorsese, you're going to have to talk about your movies for two hours. Yeah. I I think all directors should have to do that. I I think literally like all directors at a certain point have to sit back and like, I want Spike Lee to do it. I want Scorsese to do it. Like look back on their career. Please get Spike Lee to do it especially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you guys aren't allowed to make any more until you do this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is next on your list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I watched let them all talk, which was okay. Uh, Red, white and blue. And then um, I watched the John boys YouTube series, the history of the Seattle Mariners which is awesome. It's so fun. It's it's kind of laid out in like not a very cinematic style. It's YouTube video infographics and newspaper clippings. But um, it's like this franchise is just so weird. And <laughs> the, the way Boys and Robenstein like go about presenting it, it's it's really funny. It's really entertaining. So if you like baseball, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'll have to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. What about you, Jana? I've been watching like a handful of, of holiday movies, you know, put on Elf, that kind of thing. Um, I have been continuing my watch through of the Alien franchise, um, got up to Prometheus, which apparently I am a Prometheus defender. Um, I didn't really know how controversial Ooh. that opinion was until I watched it and started reading reviews and was like, oh, God, some people hate this movie. I thought Prometheus was awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to watch Covenant and see how I feel about that. I've been watching along um, with the Blank Check podcast Patreon commentaries. So I have, oh, I think I'm going to watch Covenant in like two days. Um, so that's been fun. I've also been watching new release movies. I watched Tenet, finally. can't believe I live in a world where I've seen Tenet, which is very exciting. Um, so jealous. Watched it twice, um, which I was complaining to you guys um, about having to pay 20 bucks to buy Tenet to watch it. Um, but frankly, I ended up being glad I did because I literally watched it the next day after having watched it the mm-hmm. first time to try to get a better sense of what happened um my take on tenant is i don't really understand what happened but i don't really care did not really hamper my enjoyment of the movie looks amazing Mm. um and then the other movie that i watched that i want to shout out particularly is i'm your woman um the julia hart movie starring um oh my gosh what's her name from rachel brosnahan um, not Rachel Evan, Ra- yeah, not Evan Rachel Wood, which the posters might make you think it is because they are identical <laughs> twins. Um, but it's, I never thought about that. Highly recommend. I'm your woman. Um, it is on Amazon Prime. The the sort of 
one sentence pitch is it's a movie that starts where most mob movies end um, to sort of see like the opening scene would be the ending scene in most mob movies. And then we follow like this woman's story from there. Um, It was fantastic. I really loved it and I recommend it. And yeah, that's what I've been watching. Nice. So awesome. uh, All right. Well, I think that is it for the show this week. Um, Next week, we are going to be discussing Do the Right Thing, right? We're finally there? Yes! I am double-checking my list. Yep, Do the Right Thing. That is going to be a blast. If you have not seen Do the Right Thing or you understandably want to rewatch it, um, it's available all the usual places. I don't think it's streaming, like, for free anywhere, but it's rentable on iTunes and Amazon and Google, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and or go buy the Criterion disc. Or go buy the amazing so. Criterion disc. Um, Criterion disc is insane. Fantastic Criterion disc. Um, highly recommend if you can make that work. Um, so, yeah, that's next week. want to thank everybody again for joining us. Um, until our next episode, you can follow us on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod. And thank you, as always, to our friend Scott Brady for our podcast artwork. You can follow him on Twitter at sbradyartist. And that's it. Roger out. Roger out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. Well, it's just me, huh? We're gonna have no a, fun little, a fun little bonus content of me just making weird noises into the microphone while both of you laugh. <laughs>